I'm Patricia Pierce. Welcome to the We Awakening podcast. Beneath the global crises we are facing, something truly extraordinary is happening on Earth. Planetary consciousness is shifting as humankind sheds its belief in separateness and awakens to the truth of interexistence. In this podcast, we explore this awakening into unitive consciousness that will give rise to a new world, and we celebrate the luminous web that connects us all. Hello, beautiful souls. My guest today is Jeff K.D. Myers. K.D. is a teacher, physician, artist, and storyteller whose decades as a physician healer have cultivated a deep reverence for the mystery of life and for our capacity to heal, grow, and thrive. In 2010, K.D. was graced with the blessings of the Divine Mother, who gifted him with the spiritually healing power of her song. He receives and offers transmissions in multiple lineages, including the lineage of the Divine Mother. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hello, KD. I've been very much looking forward to our conversation, and I'm very eager to hear about your journey because I know a little bit about it. I know that you've been having some very profound experiences of love through your relationship with the Divine Mother. And before we get to that, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your background and what in your background, as you look back, what in your background seemed to be laying the foundation for where you are today in this experience that you're having? Well, it's very interesting because I wasn't a very, quote unquote, spiritual person when I was growing up. You know, um, you sometimes hear stories of people who had had like these profound experiences when they were very young, and they think that that led them to where they were later on in their life. But I really didn't have that. And I I don't think I was special at all in the way of of sensitivity or, um, or of a philosophical sort or with some kind of acumen that um, tuned me in to nature. Like I love nature, but it was—it just didn't seem like there was anything special or particular about it. And um, I, when I went to college, in fact, um, I took a lot of philosophy classes and um, and classes on art history and things like that. Um, but I almost had like this this negative orientation about religion. Uh, my, my background, I had grown up Jewish and I did have a bar mitzvah, but after that I lost interest in um, my Judaism because I just felt that the environment that I was in kind of felt hostile and I really didn't understand, you know, most of the services and things were done in Hebrew, a language which I really didn't understand. So I had no personal contact really with my Judaism, of course, aside from what came through me and my family, which of course that's a lot, but you don't realize that until later on. But what really brought me um, to a place where I began to be interested in um, spirituality and the nature of things was I had gone through some difficult relationships um, in college with um, you know personal relationships with um, women. And um, just the, when they had broken up, just the pain from those relationships, from the, the breaking up was just so great that my heart was just wrenched. 
and it was um, difficult for me to deal with. The, I'd go into depressions that could last for months or even a year or more at a time. And, you know, it was just so painful. I was just um, wanting to find a place where I could have some peace. And that was also just after I'd gotten out of college. So um, I was still trying to find myself in the world. I didn't know what I was going to do or be. And um, do you want me to go on a little bit more here? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So I had gone to school in Philadelphia and was living in New York. And I knew that there were a lot of social change and social justice movements in Philadelphia from when I was in college. And I said, well, maybe that's the route for me. And so I came to Philadelphia for a weekend um, to do a weekend with a group called Movement for a New Society, a social change group. And um, I thought that maybe I would find my way there. And at the end of the weekend, I realized that also that just this just wasn't the way for me. And but someone who I met that weekend said, there's a woman in New York who's a counselor who you might be interested in. And I know her well, and you should just give her a call and maybe go and visit her. And her name was Janet Funder, uh, a lovely, wonderful woman. She unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But I went to her for a session and she and a counseling session. And she said to me, you know, I never do this with clients but my spiritual teacher is in town and I just have a feeling that you may be interested in him. And, you know, I had had like this contempt for religion. I had this contempt <laughs> for, you know, all, all these types of things that you know, have organized because I just felt like I, I couldn't personally relate to them. And so that weekend I went to a workshop with this teacher. His name was Adnan Sarhan. He also, he passed away just about a year and a half ago. And he was a Sufi teacher who had come from Iraq. As you probably know, you know, Sufism as the Islamic mysticism. And he was very, very different than what I would have ever thought. You know, he, he dressed in normal garb. He was a very warm, friendly person. I'm sure I saw him kind of like as a fatherly type of figure. But everything he did was through creativity. So we did movement and we did dance and we did art and we did drumming and we did whirling and even though there was some zikr saying holy names of of god you know it was so much fun you know and uh, there were a lot of young people there at that time who knew so, it could be fun right <laughs> who it knew was it? fun exactly <laughs> who knew that religion or spirituality could be fun yeah so it was this wonderful, powerful, embodied experience, you know, that I was, one was fully engaged in. And so I, and, and we were doing slow movement that weekend. And all of a sudden, I went into this expanded state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I never dreamed that there could be states of, of consciousness or that the mind could go these places. I was in shock from doing something that was fun, just like you mentioned. <laughs> yes. so that was the beginning. And um, after that weekend, I went out and went to a yoga studio. I'm Dharma Mitra. I don't know if, if you know Dharma, but many people. Dharma is in his mid-80s now. He's been teaching for 60 years, but who's also a wonderful, warm person, very, very heart-centered. And that was the beginning. It kind of uh, just took off from there.
and you started having some experiences um that that started to open you up to to the mystery that you find yourself in now uh can you tell how that really f- first started happening in your life yes so you know from that time when i was in my early 20s i had this spiritual interest and then it became really powerful you know this became i i was very goal oriented you know my spirituality i want to be enlightened i want to wake up you know and and this and that not having really any idea what that meant of course <laughs> i don't think but anybody I, ever does yes <laughs> that's right although i'd had these expanded states but you know they would come and be beautiful and moving and touching and profound but then they would go away and so in 1996 um i was in um i was in a group the diamond heart group you know related to ah almas the ridwan work some of the people you know um, i'm sure um who you know probably are somewhat familiar with it and there was a big interest among some friends i mine of mine in there in non-duality and I had stud- I had sat with a non-dual teacher in Boulder, Colorado, where I had had this experience for the first time of no mind. You know, my mind went completely blank, and it stayed that way for two days. And I was completely in shock because I was like walking around and talking around, but there were no thoughts that were coming into my head, right? And so when I had, when I was in this work, the diamond heart work with these other friends, they were going to India and studying with Papaji. Some of you may, you might've heard of Papaji, who was a student of Ramana Maharshi and some of his, uh, the great Indian saint. And some of his um, students, you know, were teaching here in the States. And my father had just passed away in 1996 at that time. And so it was like, I'm going to go to India. I've always wanted to go and let me see what the experience will be there. And so it was very exciting. I got on the plane at night and anyone who's gone to India from the East Coast of the US, you'll you'll know, you know, usually arrive there at like midnight or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. And India is a very chaotic place. In fact, compared to now when it's still chaotic it was like a hundred times more chaotic then but on this plane i was i had a woman sitting next to me an american woman um who uh was also going to india to visit her spiritual teacher and so we struck up a conversation and she said to me you know i'm going when we land i'm going to my guru's ashram tonight because they're having a very special celebration there and um she said you're welcome to come with me if you'd like and so i said oh well this will be great you know we're landing in india at midnight i'm gonna go on this adventure and uh do something spiritual from the moment i touched down so i was very very excited and so we got off the plane and it was total chaos. You know, you would walk out, out just outside the airport and there were cows walking all over the place and the street was like a dirt road. And there were like, you know, people just coming up to you. I probably had a dozen people come up to me in the five minutes I was standing there trying to sell me something or get me to take their taxi or this or that, right? And so we hopped in this cab and we started this journey for about a half an hour to her guru's option. And she said, so the holiday tonight is Krishna Janmastami, which is Krishna's birthday. And I had never heard of it. 
you know, I had heard about Krishna because I had taken a lot of yoga and did a lot of yoga, but I really wasn't interested in deities or things like that. I, in fact, I thought it was very silly, you know, like Ganesh is a, is an elephant with a man's body, you know, like what, what can people get out of this kind of thing? Or Hanuman, he's a man like a monkey, you know, and, uh, I, I couldn't relate in the same way I couldn't relate to the, the different symbols and personages in, in even the, the Western, you know, in the Abrahamic traditions and things like that. And, you know, Islam didn't really have much of that. So even though I'd studied the Sufism, there just wasn't um, much of that kind of um, talk. So um, I thought, okay, well, this will be interesting. And so we went to her guru's ashram, which was this Sikh ashram. But, you know, in India, there's a lot of syncretisms where the different gods and goddesses can be um, worshipped in different settings. Even many Hindus and Muslims in uh, India, you know, they, they have their own syncretic religion where they might be of, of one faith, but they'll, you know, they'll celebrate one of the holidays of the others. And so when we got to this ashram, she said, so here's what you do in order to receive the blessing from Lord Krishna. There's a little baby out there in a cradle, like in a manger. And if you see, all the young children are going up to the baby in the cradle and rocking that baby back and forth in the cradle. And that's the blessing. And I thought, oh, this is cute. You know, like it's a way of showing these young children how to love something. So there's a doll out there and you can go up and you rock the doll and you, you feel the love for the baby or whatever it is. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I went up and I rocked the baby Krishna in the cradle and I thought, okay, I did my first thing and let me hop in a taxi. It's 3 a.m. time to get back to the hotel, but I'm very thankful, but you know, I'm going to just go back. So I thanked uh, the people at the ashram and I thanked um, the woman who I'd met on the plane um, and um, hopped in my cab and went back. And I spent a few more weeks in India doing what I thought were much more important things, right? Visiting shrines of saints and, uh, and meeting these different gurus there and uh, sitting with Papaji, which, you know, for me, I, it, was, it was not the experience that I thought it was going to be, you know? It's another story I could tell sometime. But, um, but you know, I, I thought these things were so important. And so after my time in India, I then... Um, came back to the States and, you know, I might have included that first experience with the baby Krishna for maybe the first month or two or something, but it really didn't seem anywhere as important to me as the gurus who I had met, you know, or the, uh, the shrines of these saints that I had been to or things like that. And I truly, honestly had forgotten about it because it just didn't seem to be an important thing. Well, five years, so, so nothing happened then. You know, I went on with my, my life. I was still in the diamond heart work and meditating and things, but not much had changed. And five years later, I was at a diamond heart retreat up in the Poconos. And it was the last night of a two-week two retreat. And so there was a party that night, and it was a dance party. And they were playing all kinds of music, like everything from Nine Inch Nails to The Clash to hip-hop, if you could call it back at that time, to classical music, to some spiritual songs that were mixed in. And at the end of the night, the last song that they played was a Krishna Das song, which was a Hare Krishna chant. It comes from the 
think he calls it the Maha Mantra meltdown or something like that. And it was nice and beautiful, but it didn't really strike me in any other special way. And so I went home that night, went back to my cabin, very tired because the, um, the party was running late. And that night in, into the next day was the night of my birthday. You know, it was my birthday's Eve. And then I went back and I'd be sleeping into my birthday. And so, of course, as I said, this, this original Krishna, well, in the middle of the night, I'll go on with the story. In the middle of the night, I woke up and it was half asleep, but, but awake. And there was this implosion of my consciousness that took me back to five years before, where I was standing there gazing at this doll, this baby Krishna, and rocking the baby Krishna in the cradle. And I realized that this was my birthday, and I'm here looking at the baby Krishna and rocking my own cradle and loving myself and realizing that I didn't need anyone else to rock my own cradle anymore. And that love that I felt for the baby Krishna in that moment that I'd never even recognized when I was there was this love for myself and that I was free. And from that moment forward, things changed. Wow, that is such a powerful description. And Krishna, of course, being the Lord of compassion, of love, of uh, protection, tenderness. So you were really tuned in with that energy. And and it's so interesting that you had this experience that seemed like it didn't, it wasn't even a blip on your radar at, at the conscious level. But deeper, there was something tremendously meaningful about that moment. It's so, I don't know, there's something, Katie, about that that just fascinates me, how we can have experiences that on the surface of them seem quite ordinary, but a seed has been planted in us that then may take some time to really come to fruition. So you had this experience of, of, of recognizing that this love is the love that I have for myself. And, and how then did that play out? Because, you know, you've said we can have these transformative moments where we have these shifts, shifts in consciousness, but then we kind of go back, you know, they're sort of, it's sort of like, you know, the in and out kind of experience. Was there something lasting about that for you? How did it, how did it play out? It's a very funny story in some ways, especially looking back on it, of course, it's funny. So from that day on, I had this relationship with Krishna that I still didn't know how I felt about it. You know, I would have these moments of bliss just come over me, or I'd be surrounded by like a blue halo and people would go into expanded states around me, like when I'd be meditating and I still like, didn't know what to do with it. I, I didn't want to believe it. And I was still in this idea about non-dualism, you know, that the, the Advaita Vedanta or the non-dual teachers talk about where, you know, like Ramana Maharshi said, anything that's not present in dreamless sleep is not real. Well, what is present in dreamless sleep? Nothing. Because we're not even there. Yeah. So I felt like, Oh, these are just creations of my mind. Uh -huh. You know, this love I'm feeling, this fullness I'm feeling, this wholeness that I'm feeling. 
it's it something, safe? right? It's something, not nothing. <laughs> it's something, not nothing. And no. so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, then that can't be it. What an idiot I was, right? How silly I was about this whole thing, right? <laughs> so this continued to go on. And uh, two years, and I continued to have these visions. And two, I, I was sitting with a number of non-dual teachers at the time including um, one whose name is Pamela Wilson, a, a very lovely woman who's out in California. And, and still, I would have these experiences of bliss, but I would go to these retreats, sit for two weeks in expanded states, you know, just disappear in the beauty of the emptiness. But at the end of the retreat, there was still this hole, you know, this wound that I could feel in my heart. And another remarkable experience, which is related to this, but it just kind of goes on with just how these things happen in ways we could never imagine. My wife at the time had, um, had also been studying with Pamela Wilson, and she had an incredible experience where she went for one session with Pamela, and she woke up in one session, like she came out of this session, which she didn't really want to go to, and she was awake. And for the next six months, it would be like she would sleep all day and be up all night. Everything that would come out of her mouth would be like a saint. And you could imagine how this rattled me. You know, this was like I'd been like studying and meditating for 20 years and I wasn't having anything like that. I was having my Krishna vision, but I wasn't, you know, in 24-7 samadhi or whatever you would call it, you know. And so we had gone to a retreat for two weeks and it was a beautiful retreat with like i said such deep resting in the emptiness but at the end of the retreat i still felt this wound and um and you know um she and i were leaving the retreat and i just expressed that to her and just said you know i still can't find something to fill this hole to fill this wound to fill this pain even though i had such a, a wonderful experience and so she pulled the car over to the side of the road just outside of the retreat center and she looked at me and she said i want you to close your eyes and i closed my eyes and she said what's there and i said nothing and she said what if that was it what if that was what you've been searching for for all these years and in a different way i had like a similar experience where there was implosion of my consciousness that took me into this space of non-duality that has never left you know incredible right this awakening came through my wife you know at the time so this was the next um the next step on that path mm -hmm. should i continue well, I'm I'm curious about uh, you know what what's happening in your heart at that time, like yes. the heart the heart center heart opening things like that. So it was interesting, you know. There was this piece that seemed foundational, you know, and it was a great blessing because I could go into meditation, you know, at any time. I could just close my eyes and disappear, um, and. I felt like if I never had another spiritual experience in my life, I could have peace. You know, it was really a beautiful thing. And I felt that my heart was open, but I still 
had this like resistance to the world in some way. I could find peace in the emptiness, in the disappearing from this world. But when having to really embrace all of it, you know, all of the joy, but also all of the chaos and the pain and the sorrow as a lived experience, not one that I could just be separate from when I'm meditating as emptiness. It was still a difficult thing for me to um, to integrate. Yeah. And so it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of this was laying the foundation or, or, or leading you to this experience that you've been having of the Divine Mother. So how did that start to happen for you? What was it like and how did that happen? Yes. So it was interesting because, you know, like I said, I still had these visions of Krishna coming and I was more accepting, but I still, you know, understanding is something that is just kind of continuous or continual. You know, you think you understand something and then when you uh, approach it from even a slightly different orientation, there's a whole different learning that can happen from there. So f- about five years later, um, I was, I was, oh, oh, okay, I went to India again. And uh, I went on a yatra, which was a pilgrimage to Gamuk, which is the source of the Ganges in the Himalayan mountains in India. And um, it was a, a, a really interesting trip. And I came there um, because I had, uh, I wanted, I'd always wanted to go to the source of the Ganges, but I didn't want to do it on my own. And the first night there, I, I was trying to get a hotel room to stay there for the first night in the weeks before I went to India. And for some reason, it was very difficult. You know, usually in the past, I could find a hotel for 50 or $60 that would be like a palace, you know, because hotels were a great deal over there. But for some reason, I couldn't find um, a place. And so a friend of mine who lived over there said, well, you know, you should go and you should stay at the Claridge's Hotel because that's where I always stay. And, you know, it's really nice. And I thought, well, let me take a look. And I went and I looked, uh, looked up the Claridge's and it was like $260 to stay there for a night, which I thought this is just crazy. And I was getting into India at um, midnight to 2 a.m. and I was going to have to leave the next morning at 8 a.m. and get a train. So I thought, I this would be crazy to stay there. You know, like I'm not even going to be able to sleep in at this nice hotel. It was, it's a, this is a ridiculous idea. But I kept trying as the days were getting closer to, to, to flying to India and I just couldn't find a hotel. And, and so the two days before I went on and I found that the Claridge's room was discounted to $160 and it was still way more than I wanted to pay. But I thought like, I can't find a hotel. The time I'm spending going on here every day, like for two hours to find a place, it's just ridiculous. So, okay, it's a hundred dollars less than it was. I'll, I'll go for it. So I booked this room at the Claridge's hotel. So I fly to India a day or two later and get in late and as i'm walking through the lobby of the hotel there are a number of stores of course they were closed because it was at 2 a.m but there was this store that had beautiful silk sport coats in it beautiful silk jackets in it 
And I thought, wow, these are just wild and paisley silk and all this kind of stuff that I would never wear anything like that, you know, because I was like a jeans and black t-shirt kind of guy, right? But I thought, but this is interesting. So um, when I, I went to bed and then the next morning got up early to leave and I walked past it again and I just said, you know, I'm just going to take down this phone number, but I really don't need a jacket like that. I don't know when I would wear it. And it's a silly idea, but you know, you may not be back here again. So just you could keep the name of the place and the number in the place with you just in case ever, you know, you would have some kind of interest in something like that. And I then went on the Yatra. And on this Yatra, you know, the Ganga, the Ganges is, is regarded as a woman, as you know, the divine feminine. And I had all of these unusual things happen to me. And like I said, I still wasn't able to like embrace the meaning of these deities and things. And in India, you know, it's just everywhere, everywhere. And so we had gone up as part of the Yatra to a place called Uttarkashi, which means upper Kashi. You know, there's some similarity between the, the words in, um, in Sanskrit and, and the um, and English words. So Uttar means upper. And of course, Kashi is Viranasi, the holy city where if you die there in India, you know, you don't, you're not reincarnated, you're free. And this is Uttarkashi, Upper Kashi. So it's near the source of the Ganges, but still probably about maybe 40 miles away as the crow flies, but you know, a hundred and some miles away with all the switchbacks and everything as they are there. And I was having all these interesting things with the feminine, you know, like there was a group of women sitting there outside of a temple who were singing and they invited me over to get a photograph with them. You know, and then I got to sit with them while they were singing. And it was like, this is a beautiful thing. And then I went to this Shiva temple and I was wearing um, a piece of jewelry, which someone had um, given me a couple months before. But again, jewelry was not my thing either. But I, I wore this because a friend had given it to me. And this sadhu walked up to me and he touched my hand, you know, this Indian holy man and touched the hand with the. Um, bracelet on and he said yantra yantra and then showed me this yantra and as you may know you know a yantra is a drawing or it could be a little sculpture that's an image um, that's like an archetype or a symbol of something that can be a portal to the transcendent and so it was like, oh, Yantra, Yantra, he saw that there was something carved on this piece of, um, of the bracelet that I had. And so he, he showed me his carving. And so he said he would give me this carving. And so he gave it to me and I wasn't sure if it was just someone else who wanted money because, you know, in India, there are lots of sadhus, some who are real sadhus, some people who dress the part very well. But um, I, I took this from him and of course I gave him a few dollars just not knowing what the relationship was supposed to be and then went up to the source of the Ganges. And when I, on, when, on the way back from the source of the Ganges, I thought, huh, you know, maybe I should get that jacket. You know, and I didn't know where the idea came from. Again, I was still very skeptical. And I said, you know, let me see if I can call them and see if they could make a jacket for me when I get back because I'm going to be leaving in like two days. But um, I'll go back to when I go back to Delhi, I have like 24 hours or 36 hours to have it made. Let's see if they can do it. And if they can't, it's okay because it didn't have a lot of meaning to me anyway. 
And uh, so I went back and of course, people who are, um, you know, shopkeepers and things in India, if you're going to make a purchase, you know, they can, they get very excited and they don't, won't let you go, you know, if there's a chance that they can make a sale. So I went to this store and he said, of course we can make this for you in 24 hours. And he measured me and made me this beautiful jacket. And, uh, I, I, and I hopped on the plane and came back to the States. I'm getting to the point here in, in just a minute. But, um, so, I then was going right from the airport to a meditation retreat. And I went to this meditation retreat. And um, in the first couple days sitting there, I was sitting in deep meditation. And all of a sudden, this blueness came around me again, surrounding me and permeating me, I became this blue. And my mind said, Oh, this is just Krishna again. <laughs> you know, just, just let, it, let it go, right? This is just <laughs> Krishna, let it go. And this voice came to me and said, No, this is not Lord Krishna. This is the shield of David. And you carry the shield of David. And your grandfather carried the shield of David. And, but you're the one who knows how to use this. And I'm thinking, shield of David, shield of David, it must have something to do with King David, but I really didn't put it together. And uh, that evening I went and looked on the internet of what was the shield of David. And the shield of David, of course, is the star of David. And I realized that what I had experienced in that meditation was the archetype of the return of the prodigal son to the father. No, you know, that I had gone away from my own religion 30 some years before, or actually it was 20 some years before, I guess. Um, and here, the message coming in this meditation was that you're returning to that. This, this religion that I had struggled with for decades and really uh, tried to avoid, you know, in so many ways. So leading to the next part, a few days later, um, I was in a song circle singing with people. We were singing all kinds of spiritual songs. And um, in this circle, you could get a star, which happened to be um, a six-pointed star, like a star of David. You know, there are different groups that use that star. You know, it's also the heart chakra and some of the South American churches, they use that, that star. And so in this group, even though it wasn't a formal church, if you wanted, you could ask for a star, just that, you know, you were enthusiastic and you wanted to be part of the group and felt like, you know, this group really meant a lot to you. But it wasn't it wasn't a, a religion, you know, it wasn't a formal organized type of religion and there wasn't a guru or anything like that. It was just a song circle. And so I asked if I could receive a star on the last day. And I didn't even think about that, but it's another one of these things where it was on the last day that this, this kind of happened, you know, or the first day something happened. And they said, well, you know, there's a number of people who asked for stars tonight, so we don't know if you're going to get a star. But if there's, if there's room, if there's space, you know, there's a possibility you can get one, but just don't get your hopes up on it. And so I said, that was fine. You know, so that night we were singing in the song circle. And I was sitting there singing my heart out, you know, just totally enraptured by these spiritual songs because the musicians were world class. And someone came up to me from behind that I didn't even realize and tapped me on the shoulder. And immediately 
I like went into this fight or flight, like this shock, like I had done something wrong. Mm. And I turned around like a little kid, you know, who like you're, you're, you're being happy and playing. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone says, no, you can't do that. Or you need to stop doing that. It felt like, you know, my mom, you know, wanting to yell at me or something like that. And so I turned around and I looked at this person and I said, did I do something wrong? And they said, no, we're going to bring you up front and sing for you and give you your star. So I went from this place where I was feeling this shame and self-hatred for doing something wrong when he helped me go up and brought me in front of the room where there were a hundred people singing a song for me at this moment. And as I'm walking up there on the wall, there's a painting of a woman in a red dress riding a rooster, okay, with a gold crown on her head, kind of like a South American Saraswati or something like that. Just, you know, again, some mythological image that had, had, had nothing that, that made sense in this world. And just as I was walking past it to go up there, my mind said, that's the Virgin Mary. You know, even though it didn't look like any traditional painting of the Virgin Mary, just this woman in red with this, um, this crown on her. And the, the room was just singing and singing, and I just felt all this joy. And I, as they started to lead me back down to my seat, I was just in this ecstatic place. And I sat down, and these words again came to me saying that even if my own mother wasn't perfect, the Divine Mother the creator of all of this loves every cell, loves every molecule, loves every atom of me. And I just felt that in that moment. And again, out of nowhere, these words came to me that I could have never thought of. And I said, Divine Mother, make me the husband you always wanted. Like, I don't know where this could have come from. I couldn't have thought it up. And she did. In that moment, I had this opening of all, every channel, I just disappeared in this world, not out of this world, like in the richness of the whole creation, exactly as it is, with all of the beauty and all of the suffering, and of course, all of the wonder and mystery of all of it that we'll never be able to explain. And I realized that that's why I had bought this jacket. And that's why I wore that bracelet, that from that day forward, I dressed for her. Mm. And my, my role was to serve her. And so that's what I've done since 2009. I, you know, the, the, the clothes I wear, the, the jewelry I wear, it's all for her. And in that same evening where I was spent the whole evening in deep meditation, she gave me a song. And I was not someone who was musical. And the song came to me, you know, in the meditation, I am marrying Maria. I am marrying Maria. Complete me. Complete me. Complete me. I love Maria. I love Maria. What a gift, what a gift, what a gift. And since then, she's been giving me songs. And 
this and awakening in you this this musicality that you that was not part of your life it hadn't been part of your experience before it and i wonder do you do you feel like when you gave yourself like that as you did that you it sounds like you gave all of yourself and that you you opened yourself to be to be a portal really that's that's a word that comes to my mind a portal for this for this divine love to flow into the world to be embodied in the world through you and what do you what do you think Katie is the the significance of so I think a lot of times when people think about you know the divine feminine or the divine mother they think oh well women need to find their divine feminine and it's not really a guy's a guy thing right what do you think is the significance of you being in in this male form and being present embodying that kind of energy do you think that that's important I think it's very important and this it's exactly what you were saying it was this capacity this gift to surrender into that love you know it was i didn't have you know even if i had an intention to do that i had no idea i could have never conceived what it was what it was like when it was happening you know and that realizing that the creation you know that the creator it is this this feminine force you know the creation and 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 it's it's in the archetype of every woman bringing us into this world or having the capacity to bring us into this world that the feminine is the creation and to bow to that and to be so appreciative to that that the gift of life is the gift of the feminine and it it was just so powerful like so many things changed for me after that like my mother was my difficult parent in my life and i had carried around you know these projections about her these beliefs about her cuz you know i didn't like the way she expressed herself about something or i i i didn't like her personality in some ways or something i realized that this stuff was just totally ridiculous you know that it was my mind's conditioning of this woman who brought me into this world and at at her core and even beyond her core even at other you know had this this inherent love that is the love of the creator for its creation you know and it totally changed my relationship with her you know for the last 7 years of her life this person who you know it was difficult for me to be around or every time i'd get a phone call or call her i'd be like prepare myself to just be able to connect with that love you know in her and that love uh, that feminine love that's also in all of us men and women as well but really the source is is from you know the beauty of the feminine you know from uh, from from woman and um you know as i had i um 
was saying, you know, that this this then ended up leading me to do a lot of reading on this subject, which wasn't so much reading that I chose to do, but I felt like there was then the revelation of this experience through all these things in my life. You know, like um, I'd, I'd be interested in a book in a bookstore and I'd pick it up and it would be teaching me what was happening through me. It was like, you know, this, this inner teaching, this inner reading that was coming, you know, through these books. I got interested and this was, of course, this was like the last draw of it all where I was really able to surrender and realize what a fool I had been, you know, about all of these archetypal gifts being given to me and really that, that this world, that this world of creation is the world of the non-dual, just from a little different angle, you know, just from a little different perspective and that this infinite creation is the same thing. What I, what I would, what I said, you know, and, and, and really what I came away with was that I would say non-duality saved my life because it, it helped me find this ground in the emptiness, in the source where, you know, there was no more suffering in the, in the regular sense. But I said that the divine mother taught me how to live it, how to live in this creation, live in every moment and recognize the miracle of it, even in, in, in the sorrow and, and, and to, and, and to give me the, you know, the desire to, to help make that better, you know, in my role as a physician, in my role as just as a human, that it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's part of our, our birthright, you know, on the deep level to really, we have the capacity to help and make things better to use this compassion and and just i'll say one thing because i didn't before, and that that was also part of the revelation that it was the divine mother's compassion which was which i was able to tune into and it didn't matter if i believed it or didn't believe it that she was operating through me even if i wanted to deny it <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the thing about it, right? Because it's absolute. The compassion is absolute. absolute. So there isn't anything that we can do to alienate ourselves from it or alienate it from us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And coming back, I'm just I'm just curious about the music part. So is that really a central part now of your life, this musical experience? Yes. And yeah. uh I've had like, at this point, I have 20 some songs that have come through me. and they're wonderful songs. And it's not me talking about them because I couldn't have written them on my own. You know, they were really gifted to me mm -hmm. um, from her, you know, and I, it's, it, it's been an amazing thing. Like when they started coming, you know, which is now like almost, you know, 14 years ago, and we didn't have cell phones like we do now where I would, you know, they, they usually come to me in the middle of the night and I was this reluctant, you know, receiver. It would be like, Oh no, I can't, I can't get up and write this down or I can't get up and try and find the notes on this guitar. It's like, please. And this voice would come and say, no, you have to do it right now, you know, before you lose it. And so I'd like get up and I'd be like, half awake and I'm trying to write these notes down or listen to them on my guitar, 
Um, now, with the miracle of a cell phone, I can just like hit the record and I could sing it and then go back to sleep. <laughs> exactly. Little voice memo to yourself. <laughs> exactly. But it was just this crazy thing, you know, and in that sense, you know, I just want to say this one thing. It's just that I feel, you know, that that something else that it came is that, you know, the the creation that that um that the creation came out of the vibration mm. so you know out of the out of the emptiness came the vibration which is the story and the song of creation mm. and so you know and and of course we know from physics that it's true right in these yes and so that's where i feel the specialness of the music is is that really the creation came as as a vibration as a sound yeah. as a, a silent sound or whatever kind of sound the sacred sound yeah and what has it been like for you 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 describe the you know the shield of david and sort of your return back to the tradition that has been the tradition of your ancestors and then now to be in this intimate relationship with the Divine Mother and specifically as personified by the Virgin Mary, which, you know, people, of course, associate with Christianity, although she was Jewish. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, how does that sort of play out in your life? Well, you know, like I was saying, you know, the reading of Joe Campbell um, which I felt like I was led through all of these books of his, you know, um, was profound. You know, like I said, I would I would start reading and it would be like, this is what's happening to me right now. Um, the one book, Thou Art That, had tremendous, tremendous impact on me. And then his last book, which was the creative mythology. Actually, I have it sitting next to me right here, which was the last um, book in his series on the history of myth. And the creative mythology... Um, talks about the modern period, which the modern period is considered to have start, started in the 11th hundreds, you know, in the 11th century, which was that age when, as you know, it was a pre-Renaissance where like in Europe, you know, in, uh, in Portugal and in Spain and in Italy, it was when there was all of this commingling, all this syncretism among the Western Abrahamic religions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you had, you know, Rumi writing poetry and Ibn Arabi and you had Avicenna and you had, you know, these Kabbalists and things all, you know, celebrating the same source. And as, as we know, you know, the source is the same. It's just expressed in different ways. And in certain periods, there are these syncretisms that happen. It was even at the same time in India um, with the Krishna worship and the Ras Lila, you know, Krishna, Krishna was very musical. It was, again, this, this form of love that when I learned from Campbell, he said, he, in this book, it's a wonderful book, you know, to read, especially the first 80 pages where it talks all about this, where it was the period where Amor, you know, not agape, but amour as love was to be celebrated and bowed down to and worshipped. And what amour is, is that human love, the love of us as earthly beings for one another and for the creation is the highest form of love and the most poignant way to um, celebrate and, and, and be with the divine. And so this music that has come 
is like troubadour music and and i don't just say it it's like these they're like poems that many of them i just strum to as if i'm playing david's lyre you know and telling a story while they're coming you know that that i have uh, just i have um you know 10 of them that are like that that are just telling these stories that are stories beyond what the the words just say in a simple way and that you know this is is that a more that somehow that's what i have connected with which is in both the krishna tradition and you know in that in that loving the the baby you know loving the 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 baby doll and your love for that is your portal to krishna or loving jesus you know in that manger that as some people may say that that silly you know um installation that people will put up in their backyard with lights and things like that like in that there is the potential for this to be a portal to the transcendent in every everyday thing and as campbell says you know is like what is meaningful to you is what you should focus on even if others think it's silly because in what's meaningful to you touches you in that place where it's it's it just is limitless where we can go mm. Oh, beautiful. And as you describe Amor, and it's, I'm just noting the, the non-dual experience, you know, the nothingness, the, the emptiness, there's that. And, but then there's this deeply embodied and embedded in this world and expressing that kind of divine love on this plane. And I think a lot of times when people, you know, really think about spirituality, they think about it as removal from the world. But but what you're describing, it's very earthy. It's very present. It's very with us in our incarnated experience. That that's where it plays out. That's where it gets expressed. Yes, it's totally engaged. Another thing that I like to say about it in that way is that the absolute truth, the emptiness, the prior to us, the absolute truth is unspeakable, right? We can yes. only address it when we are coming back from it. The relative truth, the infinity of the creation is endless. So the absolute truth is unspeakable. The relative truth is endless. And a good life is being able to surf the crest of both of them, that wave that, that embodies both of them. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So what what is your sense of it? Just as we wrap up here, um, what do you believe Mary most wants to impart to humankind at this moment in our very turbulent, this turbulent moment in our history? It truly is, you know, this the simplicity of love you know i'm just overwhelmed by love you know it is such a gift and that all of this creation is such a precious precious experience that we're that we're privy to being here and just to love and to to just allow our hearts to be open for these miracles that are really happening all of the time all of the time you know our life itself is such a miracle right mm. you know and just uh there's something new and fresh and and deep and meaningful and compassionate available in every moment 
So beautiful. Thank you so much for for sharing the richness of your of your experience. And I'm just as someone who's listening to you talk, I can just I can feel it. I can feel the immensity of you know what you are really bringing forth and the vibration, the frequency that you are embodying. So I want to just sincerely thank you for for that and for for offering yourself in that way to the Divine Mother. Thank you so much um, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you, Patricia. And amor. Amor. Be well, Katie.